Thanks for tuning in. As always, I'm Renee. And I'm Shelby. (laughs) And you're listening to The Raspy Burrito. It's me. What's up, my creepy people? We are officially in the year of 2021. Woohoo! Hope you all had a rad New Year's Eve, whether that involved having a nice, relaxing time at home or having a nice, relaxing night getting sloshed at home like I did. We all uh, know Shelby had a good time for New Year's Eve. I sure did. So this is basically... Halloween oh, this, Renee. This is basically Halloween Renee, so I went pretty uh pretty hard <laughs> if you can't tell on New Year's. It was uh it was a great time just bringing in 2021 in the right way. And also to bring in 2021 in the right way. We've already started a New Year's resolution to give you guys the best podcast that you deserve. So, don't forget, we're going to be hosting a live event on Facebook January 13th. 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for some of our non-Eastern Standard Time listeners. (laughs) It's your chance to let us know what you like about the podcast, what you don't like about the podcast, what you would like to see us do in the future, etc., etc. See our lovely, beautiful faces. Might be fish. Who knows? Who knows? I am a demon with a tail. So send us some pre-questions to thecreepyburrito at gmail.com or hit us up on Facebook. Or just send us some questions when we do it live, and we'll answer it. Sure will. Should be fun. So look forward to that. Either way, right now, you have officially survived the holidays. And for that, give yourselves a little pat on the back. You did it. Good job. Hell yeah, you. Hell yeah. Now, give yourself a little reward. Sit back and relax. Take a little nibble out of today's episode. Today's menu consists of a bit of a lighter burrito. Not overly stuffed, but just right. Might not even be considered a full-blown burrito. Maybe a side dish. Some corn on macabre, if you will. (laughs) But don't worry, it's still got plenty of creepy goodness smothered all over it. Today, I will be telling you about undying love. You may find yourself asking, but Renee, how is that creepy? To which I respond to you, context clues, and then I wink. Our story begins with a man named Carl Tanzler, or otherwise known as Count Carl Tanzler von Kossel. Carl was born on February 8th, 1877, in a small town outside of Dresden, Germany. Carl was born into a middle-class Jewish family and grew up in Imperial Germany. But by all accounts, his younger years were quite average, pretty normal, Just regular kid, that is, until something changed the course of his life forever. One night, as a young boy, he was visited by a ghost. But not just any ghost. It was his ancestor, Countess Anna Constantia von Kossel, his great-great-aunt, who was a German noblewoman and mistress 
of Augustus the Strong, King of Poland and Elector of Saxony, between 1706 and 1713. In Karl's later memoir, he wrote, The apparition stood there. There could be no doubt about its reality. So, his great-great-aunt began to tell him about someone he will meet when he's much older. A beautiful, raven-haired Spanish woman would change his life forever. She was to be the love of his life, his destiny. So years went by, and after graduating from a medical university, Carl actually left Germany for Australia with the intention of proceeding to the South Seas Islands. But while he was in Australia, he became interested in engineering and electrical work there. And he ended up buying some property, boats, etc. Actually ended up staying there for about 10 years. And that's where he resided during the outbreak of World War I. And while he was in Australia, the British military authorities actually placed him in a concentration camp for safekeeping. Later, he was moved to a castle-like prison called Trial Bay, which is where he wrote a autobiography called The Trial Bay Organ, a product of wit and ingenuity by Carl von Cosell. So after the war, former prisoners were not allowed to stay in the country anymore, so he was actually deported from Australia to Holland. Carl actually hadn't heard from his mother since the beginning of the war, you know, since there's no phones or internet, yeah. like you literally don't know you can't just cyber stalk them and find them on the internet right. in five minutes. <laughs> yeah, like, so he has no idea where his mom is. So he basically set out on a mission to find her and return back to Germany. When he returned back to Germany, he actually met a woman named Doris Schaefer and ended up marrying her sometime around like 1920. After that, they had two children, both girls. Aisha, who was born in 1922, and Clarisita, born in 1924. And in between his children's births, he actually ended up finding his mother and found that she was safe and in good health. After reconnecting with his mother, Carl actually found out that his sister immigrated to the United States and his mother wanted him and his family to do the same. So in 1926, Carl, with his wife and two daughters, packed up their lives, and moved to Zephyr Hills, Florida. And when he submitted his documents for U.S. citizenship, he actually called himself Count Carl Tanzler von Kosell, which is not what his actual name was, but proof that the words of his great-great-aunt and the prophecy of the dark-haired love of his life were forever still burned into his brain. So in 1927... Only a year after his immigration to Florida, he actually left his family in Sefer Hills and got a job as a radiologist in the U.S. Marine Hospital in Key West, Florida, under the name Carl von Cosell. Literally, just abandoned his family. After taking the job in the hospital in 1927, Carl maintained a relatively low profile for three years, mostly kept to himself. That is, until April 22nd. 1930, when 21-year-old Maria Elena de Hoyos was brought in by her mother for examination. Maria was born into a large family in Key West in 1909 and was the daughter of a cigar maker, Francisco Pancho Hoyos. Her family had actually immigrated from Cuba to the United States and were rather poor. She had long black hair and was by all accounts very beautiful. Mm. So upon their meeting, 
53-year-old Carl was smitten and immediately recognized her as the beautiful, dark-haired woman foretold to be the love of his life. Carl later wrote, I was thunderstruck. It was she whom at last I found in the flesh. In front of him was the woman of his prophecy. This was the woman that he was meant to be with. However, Carl's examination yielded a grim prognosis. Maria was suffering from a severe case of tuberculosis. Ooh. Which, as we all know, was pretty much a death sentence back in those times. It's the TB that you don't want. Not Taco Bell. It stands for the tuberculosis. <laughs> so despite the lack of qualifications to treat a tuberculosis patient, Carl was still determined to save Maria. Because, you know, that's the love of his life yeah. that he just met. So, with his self-professed medical knowledge, he attempted to treat and cure Maria with a variety of specially made tonics, elixirs, and medicines, and with her parents' permission, even illegally set up a x-ray machine at their house to monitor her progress. So, like, completely just says fuck you to all hospital protocol and is like, this is the love of my life. I'm gonna pump her with drugs yeah. and then probably kill her quicker. <laughs> Pretty much. Gotta save this girl. <laughs> so he ended up dedicating nearly all of his time and attention to trying to find ways to cure her. He became completely fixated on Maria, showering her with gifts like jewelry and clothing also. Allegedly, he even professed his love to her. However, that remains unconfirmed and there's no evidence to support that Maria reciprocated his feelings or even knew about his feelings. Maria herself was actually legally married at the time. Oh. Although she was estranged from her husband, she was still technically married. So as Carl continued to lavish Maria, she grew more and more ill, despite Carl's best efforts. And Maria succumbed to tuberculosis at her parents' home in Key West on October 25th, 1931, leaving her family obviously heartbroken. Carl himself was also inconsolable. He had only spent such a short time with the love of his life before she was so quickly taken away from him. Carl insisted on paying out of pocket for her funeral and commissioned the construction of an above ground mausoleum in the Key West City Cemetery. And with the approval of her family, even hired a mortician to clean and fix up her body before placing it in the tomb. Mm, sketch. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. So the family, like I mentioned, had little money and they were actually grateful for Carl. They had no idea about his feelings for Maria and simply thought that he was stricken with grief over the fact of not being able to save such a young patient, but otherwise thought he was a good and generous man which is why they overlooked how weird it was that Carl would visit Maria's tomb almost every night, where he sang songs to her and conversed with her for nearly two years. Ooh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But there was something also burning a hole in his pocket. It was the key to Maria's mausoleum. Mm -mm. When Carl had the mausoleum commissioned, he had only requested one key to be made, and that key stayed with him, to which her family had no idea about. I don't even think that they knew that there was a key. So over time, Carl's routine visits to Maria eventually stopped. Her family found it was strange that he had visited her so religiously for all this time and then just suddenly 
didn't anymore, but they thought nothing more of it than that. But Carl didn't stop his visits because he fell out of love with Maria. It just simply wasn't enough for him anymore. Oh no. So late one evening in April of 1933, Carl made his way to the cemetery, walking the same familiar walk to where Maria was buried. Except this time, Carl went inside, removed her body from the mausoleum, placed her rapidly decaying corpse in a toy wagon, and transported it to a makeshift laboratory he had built inside of an old airplane, where he then proceeded to essentially mummify her body so she would be ready to move into his home. Uh, <laughs> I just like the ingenuity of it that he's making this super secret lab <laughs> inside an airplane. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know why that's so cool, <laughs> um, but terrifying, yeah. but kind of cool. <laughs> so unbeknownst to her family, Carl had actually been going into Maria's mausoleum this entire time and was continuously injecting her with formaldehyde in an effort to try to preserve her body. But even with all of the formaldehyde pumped into her, Carl couldn't stop her from completely decomposing. So he just, you know, used a number of DIY tricks to keep the young woman's body intact. Oh, that's so terrifying. <laughs> when her eyes rotted out, he replaced them with glass eyes. He used coat hangers and wire to keep her skeleton intact. Oh. And also so he could easily manipulate her posture and positions. Like a doll. Oh, yep. no. He used silk towels and wax to repair her skin as it deteriorated. He had her torso stuffed with rags in an attempt to preserve its original form, and even fashioned a wig made of Maria's real hair that he previously obtained from her mother. Yeah, kind of uh, gray on the details how that happened there, but... Yeah, that's a little bit, little yeah. bit fucky, man. Apparently, at some point... He cut her hair from her mom. I, the, the only thing that makes sense about that to me is that maybe he asked for, like, hair cuttings before she passed. Yeah, because that was a common thing, like, where parents would keep, like, locks of hair, like a lock of hair. Right. But, like, how no. you would construct a wig out of... I don't know. That I'm not maybe, maybe sure. he obtained hair from her like whenever he hired that mortician to clean up the body and like maybe Maria just Maria's mom just had some hair lying around and they were like hey we need some hair to like make I I don't I fucking no know how he got this hair but he made her a wig he basically tried everything that he could think of to preserve her body he continuously applied wax to her face and used like different disinfectants to keep her body from you know smelling like a corpse and overpowering his apartment now, while Carl was very much concerned with preserving the love of his life, he was also concerned with her materialistic needs as well. He dressed Maria's remains in stockings, dresses, and gloves, and he would frequently buy her jewelry, more clothing, and different perfumes to keep her happy. So this is all while she's she's already moved into his apartment. Yeah, yeah. Her corpse is, has been moved into, into the apartment. The Mummified. Apartment. And into the apartment. And constantly changing this rotting corpse mm -hmm. yep. inside yeah. the apartment. Because yep. you got to imagine, like, how do you uh, put on stockings and then roll them off of that? Yeah. 
But gross. Because I know, like, I'm a living body, and I have a hard time putting stockings <laughs> on and off <laughs> compared to like doing a, gingerly doing it to a <laughs> decaying corpse. Yeah, yeah. I don't fucking know. But Carl lived like this for the next seven years. Burr. For seven years, he danced by the fire with, ate dinner at the table with, Mm-mm. and even slept in bed with Maria's rotting corpse. Ooh, that's that's not that's not copacetic. No, that's not fine. <laughs> so life was pretty great for Carl until people inevitably started talking. Carl had lost his job because he eventually just stopped showing up for work. After losing his job, Carl very rarely left the house and became known as the neighborhood recluse. The only times that he did leave the house was to routinely buy women's clothing and perfume from the store. So it was a combination of that, plus the fact that a curious boy one day looked through the windows of Carl's home and saw him dancing with a giant doll that caused some suspicion. So rumors started to swirl and eventually made their way to Maria's sister, Florinda, who kind of put two and two together. So in October of 1940, Florinda went to Carl's home to confront him. She arrived under the guise of just to check up on him and to make sure he was okay. Carl allowed her inside of the home and when she got a chance by herself to finally go snoop around, To her horror, she found what she thought to be her sister's corpse, which was virtually a wax mannequin by this point, lying in Carl's bed. So Florenda left and immediately notified the authorities, who then went to Carl's home and seized the doll and determined that it was in fact Maria's remains. After that, Carl was quickly arrested and stood trial for destroying a grave and removing a body without authorization. Shortly after the discovery of Maria, her body was examined by physicians and pathologists, which revealed the extent of Carl's preservation work, including the finding of a carefully placed cardboard tube in Maria's genital region, which examiners could only assume was to make for easier penetration and to facilitate sexual intercourse. Oh, yikes. Big time yikes. How... Even though he's doing stuff to preserve the body, couldn't he get some sort of bacterial infection on himself? Oh, yeah. And break his stuff? Like, how is he surviving as, like, a human? apparently he claimed that he didn't... Fuck it. But he did. He claimed that he did not commit any acts of necrophilia. However, why the fuck did you put that in there, A tube in her vagina. She don't need that. She don't need it. That's that's my opinion on yeah. the matter. But, Yikes. So, as if it wasn't clear from the, you know, grave robbing and mummification, Carl was not mentally well. But alas, he was psychiatrically examined and was found mentally competent to stand trial, which was a spectacle to say the least. The entire trial was just a blown-up circus media sensation. At a preliminary hearing on October 9th, 
1940, Carl claimed that he planned to bring Maria back to life through intergalactic means. Oh. Stating that he would send Maria in a spaceship high into the stratosphere so that the radiation from outer space could penetrate her tissues and restore life to her solament form. Surprisingly, though, the majority of the public somehow sympathized with Carl, especially women. They did not see him as a depraved necrophiliac. They saw him instead as a lonely and sad romantic. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think there's definitely a line, and the line is probably stealing somebody's body and mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. just injecting it with preservatives and then fucking it for seven years in your apartment. Yeah, and then the kicker on top of this all is just he did not know Maria. He yeah. knew her for like a year but was so obsessed with this, like, prophecy that supposedly he had as a child where he, you know, was told by his great-great-aunt that, you know, a Spanish black-haired woman was going to be his, you know, love of his life. And he was just so obsessed with that fact that when he saw just one Spanish woman, woman with long hair with and that long was beautiful hair, and, yeah. like, half his age, he right. was like, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm going to hit it. I'm in it. I'm going to hit it. <laughs> So, get this though, eventually the charges against Carl were dropped because the statute of limitations had expired for the crime. <sighs> so literally, dude got off scot-free, had no Which criminal charges. because he wasn't caught for seven years? Because seven years had passed since Ooh. he robbed the grave and like took the corpse without authorization. I hate all of this. Yeah, like how in the fuck? And also like you have to wonder... Throughout those seven years, what was he saying to people? Like, when he went to a clothing store to buy women's clothes, he was probably, like, talking about her and saying, like, mm. I'm buying it for the woman I love. Maybe. I'm buying it for That's, yeah. my life. That's fucking weird. It's terrifying. It's not the end to uh, all this weirdness. No, oh, no. So, since the trial had garnered so much media attention, rather than putting Maria back in her crypt the state of Florida decided to put her on public display at a local funeral home for, you know, anyone who wanted to stop by and check her out. It is reported that as many as almost 7,000 people came by to view her body in the disturbing form that it was in. How did her family let that happen? I don't know. That's what I'm very unclear about. Wouldn't they have to get their permission? Well, you would think that at that point it might be a like property of the state, the state, because it was technically involved in a crime. Yeah, maybe. But at that point, then the there was no charges filed against him. So, I'm still like just common decency for being a human once that was alive. Right. But eventually, people's interest in the case died down, and people were done fucking gawking over her. So she was finally reburied in an unmarked grave, so she could rest in peace without any copycats trying to dig her up, or the romantic himself coming to retrieve her body. Which, by the way, he had the balls to ask for her body back after his trial was dismissed. Which, obviously, was denied. But... (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do you say, thanks for dropping them charges, but also, can I have my girl back? <laughs> <laughs> right, like, the fuck, dude? Oh, God. So, obviously, like I said, fucking request denied. And eventually, in 1944, Carl moved to Pasco County, Florida, where he then wrote his autobiography called The Secret of Alina's Tomb, and eventually received United States citizenship in 1950. 
Now his home was actually near his wife because he still had a wife this entire time. His wife, Doris, who remained in Zephyr Hills. And I don't know if she just didn't hear about what the fuck happened or if she was just a beautiful angel, but apparently helped support Carl in his later years in life since he was 12 years her senior. Mm -hmm. So she literally just go over, give him groceries, help him out with what he needed to when he was like older. But finally, on July 3rd, 1952, Carl passed away at the age of 75. But he wasn't found until three weeks after he died. So he was literally rotting in his house. A neighbor finally noticed a foul odor from inside of the home. And upon entering to check on Carl, found him dead. Reportedly, in a bed next to a life-size dummy that was wearing a death mask made in Maria's likeness. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not actually known how long Carl lived with this effigy, but considering the dude was clearly insane, I would say probably made it not long after his move in 1944. It is confirmed, though, that Carl did, in fact, have this life-size dummy in the house upon his death. But his obituary claims that he was found dead on the floor behind one of his organs rather than in the bed with his doll. The obituary actually said a metal cylinder on a shelf above a table in it wrapped in silken cloth and a robe was a waxen image. So who the fuck knows? The obituary said that he was found dead on the floor, but it's reported that the neighbor found him in bed. And it's probably easier to say he was found dead on the floor publicly mm. than say he was found dead in a bed with a life-size, life-size mannequin, mannequin doll. But who knows? Either way, he definitely fucking had this doll. And people have actually speculated over the years that Carl somehow had the body switched and uh, reportedly found out where Maria's unmarked grave was or somehow secretly had her return to him and that he actually died with the real body of Maria. And although that is a very climactic ending, it's inaccurate. It was just a dummy. Okay, okay, good. That makes me feel a little bit better, I guess. Right. Not really, no. but a little bit. I mean, the whole story's fucked. Uh, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that is the story of Undying Love. It kind of reminds me of this one movie uh, called Maniac with Elijah Wood in it. And basically, it's everything's like from the perspective of a serial killer. And he works in a mannequin shop and he scalps the woman after and then just staples them onto these mannequins. But he has like a very obsessive personality and is in love with these women. And then he's just living with them after in his house and it's like terrifying i think it was definitely like a schizophrenic or some sort of like mental illness but i don't understand how this guy didn't happen in any sort of like mental institution after the trial like i understand that you were mentally competent to like be able to be there in court and go on trial but you can't tell me somebody who does what he did is actually mentally mentally stable to grave rob to desecrate a corpse in insinuated necrophilia. Like, none of that is fucking okay. Yeah. And whether Maria knew about it or not, I feel like she's dying of TB. And whether her doctor tells them that they're in love with her or not, who are you to say um, no? Because they're going to stop treating you. Or they can just accidentally <laughs> right. kill you. Right. So, I just, I just can't. I just don't. 
Right. A lot of people think that he didn't tell her just because it's like, how do you tell somebody like, hey, I had a prophecy when I was a young boy. Which that, was 50 something years ago. <laughs> that you were going to be my destiny. Which also, sidebar, she was kind of his destiny though. He in a was way. obsessed with her. I mean, even though she might not have been the love of his life or the person he was supposed to marry or whatever, but he did spend his life with his her. His last <laughs> remaining, what? 20 years. 20 years with her. Because he was like 75 and he was like 50 when he met her? Yeah, he was 53 when he met her and he was 75 when he died. Dude, in only two of those years she was alive? Only two of those years because he met her in 1930 and she died in 1931. That's like so gut He spent more time with her when she was dead than when she was alive. So much more time. Yeah. Ugh. (laughs) So yeah, um, Dr. Carl Tanzler is a freak. To say the least. To say the least. Oh, God. And somehow evaded any sort of justice. Sure did. Fucking stature of limitations. Which I get for, like, I don't know, an overdue library book. But not, like, an overdue body. (laughs) Way overdue body. Uh, Yikes. With countless of, like, some of the shit that he did to try to preserve her, like, didn't even work. Yeah. Like, how you're going to fucking drown her body in disinfectants. That's cool. Just Not think about work. the smell of that apartment, though. Just oh, that's the aroma as a whole. Fucking doused her in perfume. perfume. But at that, that point. That only does so much. At that point, you're just smelling perfume and fucking corpse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you're not. It's not going to overpower the smell of a decaying body. And then just. He sat there at dinner and just smelled Ate with her. her. Yeah. 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 Danced with her. He probably fed her, too. Slept with her. Yeah, probably. Or at least. Tried to. Tried to. Yeah, I mean, like, he bought her gifts. Yeah. So, who the fuck knows? I didn't actually read his memoir. I just kind of, like, glanced through it and skimmed through some of the things that I could see online through Amazon Mm. for the, like, snippet snippet things. But um, if you have the chance to read his memoir and you find it incredibly disturbing, send us an email and let us know. At thecreepyburrito at gmail.com. If you want to see some fucking pictures of this wackamaniac or want to see actually uh, what Maria looked like after she was found, you can check out our Instagram and our Facebook because we will post that there. At the Creepy Burrito. And don't forget, you can now buy us a burrito at buymeacoffee slash creepyburrito. Donate to the podcast, become ever in our debt, and give us a new laptop. (laughs) You can always send us those sweet-ass reviews on iTunes, Podchaser, Stitcher, and rate us on your streaming apps. And on that note, I'm trying my best, and I'm sorry. Shelby can't talk today. I can't hang. Shelby will be good next episode. Yeah, I did my best. This episode just... Skip past when Shelby talks. Yeah, just don't <laughs> listen to me. I'm, I'm the trash man. <laughs> the trash woman. I'm the trash woman. The trash burrito. Aww. The burrito that resides in the trash. Yeah, I mean, you reach right in that trash can and eat it. <laughs> yeah, there's a 
used glove on top of it. <laughs> Band-aid next to it. <laughs> on that note. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Goodbye now. robot police. And in the morning, I'm making waffles. <laughs>